Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, are you having fun yet? That was the question my friend's counselor asked him. Are you having fun yet? It's a question that stayed in my friend's mind. I'll call my friend John, just so I'm not constantly referring to him as my friend. Uh, John, uh, it was a impactful question because he stayed with him for three months and he recounted to me this story, this conversation three months later. It was impactful, this question, are you having fun yet? Because uh, my friend had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Uh, I know, probably know a little bit about that disease. Uh, my friend, is, he's my peer, John is my peer, so I'm 48 at the time of his diagnosis. He was probably late 40s at the eldest. So it's very early for this disease to be diagnosed. Uh, my, John is a big man. He is a, my height, but a football player, so broader. Um, you know, he went from playing basketball to working on his balance. Uh, he was in sort of the, the, the sweet spot of his career and his family. You know, spent the first 20 years sort of tilling the soil with family and with his church. And now, you know, for the next 20 years, he's probably looking as, as as, as I do a little bit, 15 years to land this uh, church property, now 15 years to do something with it in the second half. He was probably looking at the next season of his career of done, doing a lot of tilling the soil and then looking forward to some of the fruit of that labor in the next season. And of course, now every tomorrow is just cast in doubt. What will each day bring? What will the next impediment be on his health? So there's just a huge shadow for him over everything, over the next, well, you can probably imagine just the questions that he's asking. In order to contemplate these questions, in order to just manage emotions, he developed a relationship with a counselor. And it's one of these sessions that the counselor asked him, are you having fun yet? That doesn't seem like a very pastoral question, does it? Are you having fun? Uh, after the life that you thought you were going to live has just been sort of wiped away. But what I want us to see as we look at the book of Revelation, uh, that, that question, are you having fun yet, is not inappropriate. Matter of fact, I think it's a helpful question for all of us to ask. I guess one caveat, fun is not a particularly robust theological word, right? Uh, fun, we associate fun with, you know, cotton candy and uh, movies and amusement parks. And that's not what the counselor meant when he said, are you having fun yet? You know, the word happy is a word that is also translated in the Bible as blessed. So in the blessed are the peacemakers, the beatitudes, some translations say happy. Happy are the peacemakers. And that's what the counselor meant when he said, are you having fun? Are you happy? Are you able to smile? Are you able to laugh despite, despite this diagnosis? We're in Revelation chapter 13. It'll be helpful for you to have your Bible open to that page. I have abbreviated the reading just for the sake of the leaflet, but we'll be looking at chapter 13 and chapter 14. Just by way of review, last week we thought about chapter 12 and the defeat of the devil in the victory of Christ. So chapter 12, we saw that the devil was cast out of heaven. That's good news. Uh, and the devil was defeated 
at the cross. We'll say this in our communion liturgy. Uh, by his resurrection, he trampled down hell and Satan under his feet. Amen. Hallelujah. That's great. Bad news for you and me as the devil is cast out of heaven, but guess where he ends up? He ends up here. And so chapter 12, verse 12 concludes by saying, uh, he came, he was, the devil was cast down from heaven and he came to earth with great wrath. And chapter 13, really chapter 13 to chapter 18 of Revelation describes the, uh, the activity of the devil. And it is not good. It is wrathful. It is unpleasant. Uh, and actually, these next five or six chapters can be a source of, of unhealthy curiosity. Uh, these are the chapters that are full of imagery, like seven horns and ten heads, and the followers of the devil are described as those who are marked with the, the, the number 666. So all this symbolism can be an unhealthy source of intrigue. What does this beast mean? And maybe it means that president, or maybe it means that nation. And what is the mark of the beast? What 666 stands for? Well, maybe it means this. Or this is just unhelpful speculation, in my opinion. I think if you take a step back and look at the trees, the forest instead of the trees, what you come away with is a, a description of the forces of evil that are powerful. Uh, this is not included in your service leaflet, but uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. All worship the beast, saying, who is like him? Who can stand against him? So he's a, he's a powerful force. Uh, he's frightening. These images that were given, even the brief uh, verses that I cited for you, that are printed for you in your, these are frightening images. Head like a, la a leopard, body like a, a bear. Uh, they are meant to be the things of nightmare. And so the devil is described as frightening. Uh, he is described as destructive, chapter 13, verse 6. Again, not printed for you in your service leaflet. Uh, he is destructive. The beast uttered haughty and blasphemous words against God and against all his saints and was allowed to make war and he was allowed to conquer the saints. Frightening, powerful, destructive. Finally, you see that he is redundant. Does the same darn thing over and over again. So chapter Verse 1 of chapter 13, I looked up and I saw a beast. Chapter 13, verse 11, I looked up and I saw another beast. Different form, but different packaging, same animal. You know, different imagery, but the same destructive, frightening power. I looked up and I saw, writes John. And this is the world that you and I live in. We can look up and see. Now, we would not look up and see, oh, I see a seven-headed, ten-diademed, clothed beast. But you and I can certainly look up and see the frightening, destructive, uh, redundant, uh, powerful forces of wickedness. Back up the calendar, seven days. Ten lives lost in Buffalo through one of the, most, the devil's most redundant and destructive tools, racism. Aren't you sick and tired of the redundancy of this tool of the devil? Some poor soul lost in the internet land, lost in, in, in hate-filled, probably playing too many video games, and he does something that is just utterly destructive. Now, we wouldn't say that's the work of the devil, but we certainly can see evidence of his handiwork, can't we? We don't need to look out there 
uh, to, to the, the big bad world. We can look closer to our home, to the sadnesses and disappointments that are a part of your life, to Parkinson's disease at age 48, to the loneliness that you encounter, the broken relationships, to the family fraughtness that are a part of all of our lives. You don't need to look at your externals either. You can simply look at the internals, the, uh, the self-damage that you inflict upon yourself. Sorry for the redundancy. Uh, the damage that you inflict upon yourself through your habits, through your sin, through the patterns of sinfulness that are a part of our lives. Now, please hear me. Just as I said last week, I'm not suggesting that every interview that doesn't go your way, that every sinful thought that passes through your ears is not the result of the devil. But what I am suggesting is that in this world with devils filled, as Martin Luther said in his uh, great song, A Mighty Fortress, in this world with devils filled, and that's how the Bible describes our world, that you and I are going to find encounter tragedies and sadnesses and of every shape, size, and variety. The devil is, has plenty of wood out of which he can make you a cross, and you're going to encounter it. And that's just part of life in this world. So to my the question, my counselor asked, John, are you having fun yet? How can you have fun in this? How can you be happy? How can you be blessed? To use more theologically weighty words. In a world with devils filled. Well, let's look at the third image. I saw one beast, chapter 13, verse 1. I saw another beast, chapter 13, verse 11. I saw, we see the relentless, destructive, and frightening evidence of evil in our world. And then look at what he saw next. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked and I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And around that lamb, hundreds of thousands of worshipers. That number 144 is simply meant to be 12 times 12 times a lot. In other words, 12 tribes. Time. Well, he's not giving us a specific number. He's just saying there's a lot of people, a lot of saints gathered around the Lamb singing. I, for a while there after college, I was, in, uh, I was a, a real Civil War buff. Um, my, Jennifer and I would often go to Gettysburg and we'd walk the battlefield. And we saw the little round top where uh, Chamberlain made his stand and uh, a big fan of that book by Michael Shahara, uh, The Killer Angels. And uh, you probably know this. Regimental banners were very important to Civil War battles. And they were important for a number of reasons. Number one, there's the way uh, that troops communicated with one another. Right? So this regiment goes there, and every regiment would have their own banner. This, these guys go there, these guys go there. But more than just a source of communication, they were a source of pride and motivation. So in other words, if a soldier could look up and see, ah, the, the, my regimental banner is still flying, that meant that his regiment was still fighting. And they'd take great motivation from that. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here. That amidst the, this world with devils filled, Amidst the destructive power of the evil one, he looks up and he sees a banner, this iconic image of a lamb standing in victory, surrounded by the thousands upon thousands. Jesus is, of course, the lamb. As we read in our 
heard in our gospel reading, behold the Lamb of God. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Christians believe that the Lamb of God conquers the schemes of the devil. It is by his death and resurrection that uh, the great dragon is cast down and defeated and will finally be defeated. Though the, though the devil has some leash, the final result is never in question. God wins. The banner of Christ will not fall. And we could spend some time looking at the followers, these hundreds of thousands that are gathered around the throne. But what I want us to appreciate about these worshipers around the throne is what they are doing. They're singing. They're not just singing. They're singing a new song. Recall that uh, I suggested there's some redundancy to evil. The devil is not very creative. God is. His mercies are new every day. The devil is old and tired and redundant. The saints of God are always singing new songs. And they're not just singing new songs, they're singing new songs loudly. Like a roar of water, like the sound of a thousand harps. And our worship director and I had a chuckle, and we'll have a chuckle after this service as well, because uh, about two weeks ago, we, we brought out a gospel hymn. Uh, by Hezekiah Walker, it's a little bit of a stretch for us Anglicans, and uh, Anne had to instruct the congregation, the choir, and through the choir, the congregation, we're gonna clap on two and four. Clapping on two and four, right? And I think, I give us about a C grade on our clapping, probably a little bit, we were hindered by the, the hymnals in our, uh, uh, our, our song of praise, so maybe we'll get a little asterisk there. But in general, worshiping like the roar, worship like the roar of, a, uh, of breaking water is probably a growth edge for us. <laughs> so I want us to appreciate what they're, 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 these folks who are gathered around the throne, they're, they're simply not concerned with the Assaults of the devil, they, they know his doom is sure. Again, the quote from Martin Luther. So are you having fun yet? Despite this world with devils filled, despite the disappointments of life, are you happy? Would you consider your life blessed? Frodo and Sam are two characters of the book of the Lord of the Rings. They're given an impossible journey. Uh, and they're in an impossible moment in their impossible journey. They have to go to the land of Mordor and to destroy one ring of power. And they've come to uh, a pivot point where they've arrived at Mordor, but they can't get in. And they don't, there's, there's no good options for Frodo and Sam. There's just one bad option after another. And they're stuck and they're indecisive and they're depressed and it just feel, feels like this is the world with devils filled. And for no good reason, Sam, Frodo's uh, companion, starts humming a song. 
and I'll give you a nickel if you can tell me the song that Sam was humming after the service. Uh, but that was all it took. Was this little? He, uh, Sam described it as a little song that he used to sing in the Shire. And uh, Tolkien picks up. He says. Uh, that was all it took. Frodo stood up. He laughed. He laughed in the midst of all his cares when Sam trotted out this old fireside rhyme, and the laugh released him from hesitation. He made his decision and said, let's go this way. The laughter of Frodo, not laughter, it's not some sort of grim, stoic laughter in the face of doom. It's not some satirical laughter. That is a theological laughter. That's a laughter that comes from knowing that there's a lamb on the throne. That's a laughter that comes from knowing that we don't know, we don't know his ways. We cannot often see him. Nonetheless, we believe that there is a lamb standing in victory. And though <laughs> there is uncertainty about the next step and how the next day uh, well, will unfold. There's no uncertainty in the final outcome. And therefore, you can laugh and take the next step, and that's what Frodo does. So, to the question that this counselor asked John, are you having fun yet? Can you laugh in mortar? <laughs> can you sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land, as the psalmist asked? Are you able to join in the worship of the Lamb standing on Mount Zion even though you see with full sight and without any sentimentality the work of the devil and all his frightening and damaging redundancy? My friend responded to that question, no, I'm not having fun yet. But he said, he's trying and he's learning. He said, I'm learning to laugh as well as cry. I'm learning to take each day one day at a time, each moment, one moment at a time, not looking too far into the future, trying to be faithful to my responsibilities and trusting what I cannot control. And so the same question for you and me, are you having fun yet? Despite whatever cross it is the devil has made for you to carry, are you having fun? Can you laugh? Can you sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? For all of us, I imagine the answer is not yet, but we're trying. And I think that as we try to sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land, we'll be aided by remembering the songs that they're singing now. So let's try to remember and be encouraged by that banner that John saw amidst this world with devils filled, a lamb standing in victory, surrounded by saints singing like the roar of heaven. Please rise.